This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. Not really, because what you learn as an English and history major is to do research and to learn what you don't know and to learn it well enough to write about it so other people can understand it. And uh, so I, I've always said that TCU was the best part of my education, uh, more so than my two graduate schools, because I learned those skills and I learned those habits of mind. And so once you know how to learn, then you can learn about anything. That is the voice of Valerie Neal from the TCU class of 1971. Valerie and Bubba Thornton from the TCU class of 1970 joined us to talk about their 50th anniversary of graduating from TCU in honor of the 50-year reunion that is honoring the classes of both 1970 and 1971. They will speak about what life was like as a student in the late 60s and early 70s and how life has unfolded for them since graduation 50 years ago. And we are very thankful today. We have a very special edition of the TCU Alumni Podcast. It's our 50th class reunion edition. This for, due to the pandemic, we've combined that we've had a super reunion this year. We have the classes of 1970 and 1971 joining us. Whole week of events for them going on uh, in, the, in the last week of March. But we want to take two special uh, graduates from those classes. First, we have Valerie Neal from the class of 1971 and Bubba Thornton from the class of 1970. They are here with us today to talk to us about their TCU experiences, all the great things in their life that they've been uh, doing since then, where they're living today. We'll, we'll, you're up to hear about Colorado and, and Westlake, Texas. That's uh, Those are great places. And uh, the person that's uh, facilitating this great great week of events is my co-host today, Melissa Austin Week. She is a she is a fellow graduate of TCU, uh, nineteen eighty eight. Is that right, Melissa? Nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, she has put in so much work. She uh, she does our women's network. She does fiftieth reunion. She does the Hispanic Alumni Alliance. So pretty much, if you're a graduate of TCU, you've probably talked to Melissa at some point. She was also a graduate of the Harrods. Harris College of Nursing. So she has all the medical. So she's who I go to with all this COVID questions. So Melissa, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for hosting this great week of events. Sure, Rob. I am so excited to be here. Um, The 53 Union is an annual event. We host it every year. Pre-COVID, we hosted it every year in May in conjunction with spring commencement. Um, So COVID, unfortunately, had to cancel Bubba's class reunion, which was in 2020. And this year, the class of 1971 said, we don't want to cancel. We still want to have the reunion. If it means we have to do virtual, let's do it. And we'll invite the class of 70 to host with us. And so we're bringing two great classes together for one milestone reunion. And we are, and this is great that we have all four of us in the same room. We're all in different locations. We're in three different states. I mean, this is, this is fantastic. (laughs) And they're going to be, um, their reunion is actually, well, they're doing three things. They're Wednesday, March the 24th. They're going to have a virtual tour of campus. We have a really fun event planned with our student foundation members, which are our student ambassadors for alumni relations. And they're going to take you on a fantastic tour that you don't even have to uh, 
move from your seat for 30 minutes and you're going to get probably the best tour of campus you've ever had and some brand new spaces that no one else is not even the public has seen yet y'all are going to see and that will be followed by a panel with some students to share with some some things that happened maybe when y'all were students like Valerie told me the cues for freshmen that uh, like girls weren't aware, allowed to wear um, pants or wear slacks on campus. Maybe we'll get into that in our conversation today. And kind of what it was like to be a student in the 70s versus what it's like to be a student today. So that's gonna be on Wednesday the 24th. Thursday the 25th, Rob is helping me with a fantastic virtual event that we'll be hosting on Alumni Worldwide Facebook, 70s Trivia, it's going to be amazing. We've got prizes. We've got old video footage. We've got uh, the TCU band. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we'll finish with our traditional experience that we try to, that we host every year. We're trying to replicate it as much as we can. The medallion ceremony with the chancellor on Friday, March the 26th at 5 p.m., followed by a happy hour where classmates can mix and mingle in their own chat rooms. So we're really excited. It's um, It's been quite a lot of work. It's interesting how a virtual event could be more work than an in-person event. And I think it's because there's a lot of moving parts. That's what I've said this whole, uh, the last year is that, you know, for an in-person event, we just tell everyone, here's the building, you guys show up. When it's virtual, we have to make you come to, we have to find a way to come to you. So I think it uses different sides of our brains. So anyway, I'm excited about diving in. So uh, for our listeners, what we're going to do is kind of walk down memory lane with Bubba and Valerie and ask them questions about what it was like to be a student, favorite memories. And then we're going to dive in to their amazing careers that they've both had. And then we'll finish with some advice that they have for our graduating seniors. So I'm going to start. We're just going to toss the question out and either one of you answer or both. What made you decide to choose TCU? Go ahead, Valerie. Well, I grew up in a small town in Arkansas, and when it was time to go to college, I wanted to get out in the bigger world. And um, I grew up in the Disciples of Christ Church, so I knew about TCU, but, you know, the advice is always to apply to more than one school in case you're not accepted. So I applied to uh, three schools, one in uh, Nashville, at Vanderbilt, uh, one in Memphis, uh, which is now called Rhodes, and TCU in Fort Worth. And I visited all, and um, I loved the campuses, and I liked the towns. I thought, this would get me out into the world experiencing um, a new way of life. Um, but I really fell hard for TCU. And when I was visiting there, um, I happened to have an opportunity to meet the chancellor, who was Chancellor Mowdy at the time. And he was just a prince of a man, just a wonderful human being. And he spent I don't know, 20 minutes or so just chatting with me about what my interests were and um, what I was hoping my college experience would be like. And at the end of the visit, he kind of shook my hand and he said, I really hope you'll consider TCU. 
And uh, I said, well, I definitely am. Um, I thought the campus was beautiful. I liked the feel of Fort Worth and everything. And uh, I was so touched and impressed that the head of the entire university would spend a few minutes with me and essentially personally invite me to apply. Um, so that made a big impression. And uh, I heard from the other two schools first, and I was on pins and needles waiting to hear from TCU. And when I heard from TCU, I had an acceptance plus a very nice scholarship offer, um, which was a national merit scholarship I had been competing for independent of um, applying for specific scholarships at specific schools. And with the national merit, it was uh, specifically linked to TCU. So, so that made the decision uh, irrevocable at that point. And uh, another reason I was interested in TCU was um, it had an honors program at the time, and I really wanted to be challenged, and I liked the idea uh, of an honors program. So I declined uh, to the other two universities and happily came to TCU and loved every minute of it. That's great. You know, and I think a lot of students say the reason they selected TCU was because of the personal touch. You know, either it was a, a faculty member or the chancellor or an administrator or a student or a staff member that stopped mm -hmm. and, you know, made a difference. So I love to hear those stories. But, but what about you? What, what made you decide to choose TCU? Well, there's absolutely no doubt about the personal relationships that I had at the university. Uh, obviously, I'm a really had a different route than Valerie. Uh, National Merit Scholar was not in my <laughs> resume. And uh, I, uh, I had a, two men in my hometown, uh, Coach Stepford and a man named Mr. Swansea, who wrote Abe Martin endlessly letters about this little oh. kid from Keller, Texas. And Trust me, there, was, there wasn't a scholarship at home for me to go to college. And so as it worked out, uh, at the end of my senior year, uh, Don Jackson showed up at Keller High School and had a scholarship for Bubba Thornton. And it was really a dream for my family uh, my father had become paralyzed in 1954 with a major stroke. He was a north side guy and got whole family lived out there in the north side. And so for to have one of the family get to go to TCU, that was a huge, huge honor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, uh, it was a first. And yeah. for my family, the Thornton family on the on the north side and the Piper family in Diamond Hill, I was going to be one of the first siblings to go to college. And I had a couple of uh, uh, girl cousins. And that's that's what was so wonderful about where we were in our time, because we were going to get to change everything in one generation mm -hmm. for our families. So it was an exciting time for me 
but then I had to add a little drama. Okay. Um, I'm working in a meat packing company at the loading docks and the phone rings and they say, hey, Bubba, come over here. Abe Martin wants to talk to you. So I go over and Abe says, Bubba, we need your SAT or ACT scores. Uh-oh. I didn't know what they were. Okay. I, I really, in high school, probably hadn't been prepared to go sure. to college. And so he said, don't panic, hang on, be patient. I'm gonna call you back tomorrow. So I go home and I tell my parents and it's, you know, it was a tough evening. Yeah. Next day, Abe Martin called me and he said, Bubba, I've called this place down in County, Texas. If you'll go down there for two years and do what you're supposed to do, I'll bring you back. And I said, I mean, I mean, in 1965, you wanted to be in school for sure. <laughs> Absolutely wanted to be in school. And, but I wanted to play ball. And so I got daddy in the truck and he knew how to get to Cars Camera. And we went down there and it was Navarra Junior College. And so my life moved to Cars Camera. I didn't even know where it was at. I, I did the things that Coach Martin wanted me to do, and I didn't hear from him not one time or a person from TCU one time. I'm starting to get calls from other universities about coming mm -hmm. there. And uh, the week I graduated, Coach Martin called and said, be at the Letterman's room on this date and uh, get ready to go. Wow. And so Abe Martin uh, is my uh, lifeline. Gosh. He, he got wow. it all started. And so. Wow. What a fabulous this, story. Yes. And again, that personal connection that he cared enough about you um, to really encourage him. you and make it possible. Yeah. Make it possible. And so. I'd like so to comment on something part. Bubba said about being a first-generation student, too, mm -hmm. because, you know, now they recognize students who are first-gens. But uh, back in our day, um, none of the adults in my family had attended college, and a few of them had barely finished high school because of the Depression. Mm -hmm. And so it was my generation of cousins and I, who were the pathbreakers in our families. And I was the first one on my dad's side of the family even to consider going to college, you know, and then actually do it. On my mom's side of the family, I had three other cousins who were older than I, and they, they broke that path too. But, you know, we were all really the, the first generation who could even contemplate uh, going to college because of the circumstances of our parents having grown up in the depression and and having to go to work right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My sister or to war, yeah. you know, having to go into World War II. My sister is from your class, Valerie Paula Reeves, and she was first generation because my mm -hmm. dad was my dad was a um, 
Army Air Corps pilot, and um, she and my mom, my mom and dad got married right when he got home from the war. So college mm-hmm. was not in a lot. College didn't wasn't in a lot of people's lives at that time. So, but I love hearing because we're going to move on to Rob's question. But I love hearing how you both had a very personal experience from someone that was associated with TCU. That's a very that's a common theme right there that I love to hear. Okay, Rob. And so that, and again, that personal touch, I know, I know myself, I was not fortunate enough to have that personal touch. Not, I mean, I, I had a great experience when I was talking to everyone at TCU, but the chancellor and athletic director and football coach did not give me personal invitations to come to the university. Uh, so I, I'd imagine that, you know, when you have someone, you know, whether it be in 1965 or 2015, if the head of the university, the head of the athletic department says, we want you to come to this school, you've really got, you know, what you think that this student experience is going to be like, you know, like, wow, this, this really important person wants me. So how did the TCU experience, you know, maybe live up to the hype of, you know, quote unquote, your recruitment and, and generous scholarship offers? Totally. In fact, for me, I think it exceeded even what I had hoped uh, for the whole four years there, um, I always felt that my faculty members were accessible, um, certainly during office hours, but just to linger around after class and talk, there was a tradition at the time in the honors program of faculty firesides where faculty would invite 10 or so students uh, to their house for um, uh, a discussion of a topic of interest, or maybe you would have read a book in advance and have a discussion about that. Um, the faculty were clearly very committed to our education, and um, there was never an instance where they didn't know your name and they didn't address you uh, when you were on campus. And uh, then the student body, I thought, were wonderful. Uh, I it, at the time, diversity wasn't a, a, a catchword, but I thought the campus there was diverse just because Texas is such a huge place and people were there from all over Texas and from almost every other state. And as an out-of-state student and the only one from my hometown to come to TCU, I always felt very at home and welcome there, never felt like a stranger. And... Um, then the other thing is the staff were just terrific too. If you stop by the registrar's office or if you stop by um, uh, any of the offices in uh, Sadler Hall or something, people always gave you the time of day. You know, they found out what you needed. They helped you. They were, uh, you were never brushed aside as just a bothersome student. Mm-hmm. And um I would say uh, for the whole four years I was there, um, I felt comfortable even just dropping into Dr. Maldi's office from time to time uh, to give him a little status report. He had a wonderful <laughs> secretary uh, named Tony Newton, and Tony knew all the students too. And I would pop by sometimes and just say, does Dr. Maldi have any time, any time this week? for a little 10 minute visit. And uh, she would 
put me on the calendar and I could go in and, and tell them, you know, I came here, this is what I'm taking, this is what I'm doing, and just maintain that relationship with them. Wow. Uh, I want to come back to that because I, I want to ask about what his office looked like and all that. So we'll we'll come back to that. Because so I want to you were uh, not only were you a student, but you were also a, a student athlete uh, doing two sports. So what was the general student experience like? And then what was it like also trying to be a student athlete? Well, I loved being at the university. Uh, you were very visible uh, to not just the student body, but to the faculty and to the administration. And uh, they're, they're always would put you to ease. It was like you didn't expect the small stuff. Just worry about the big stuff because they had everything else covered for you. Mm. And uh, the, the two sport deal, that, that's what I did. And the faculty, Dr. Standiford, Dr. Prowse, and some of those guys, Dr. Jarman in the religion department was part of the athletic council. They took personal interest in us. And uh, I think that's kind of my success is the people that's been involved with me and been around me through this incredible journey that I've been on. And so I got a little bit from each one of them. And sometimes it would just be totally off the wall uh, of, of what they might ask you to do or, or what was going on in your life or Miss Planick, the music teacher. Uh, she loved to bake. And we had an egg place out in color that they let the chickens out in the garden so eggs were really yellow and you couldn't buy. So I needed to bring her two dozen eggs when I went home. So I, was, you know, <laughs> I had those kind of relationships and and in, in the athletic department, we had a little deal with some beanies that those freshmen had to wear. Thank God I wasn't a freshman uh, until you won the first game. And of course, traditions change and things move forward. But but it was uh, a really an important time to get to know people and to to know who you wanted to put in your circle because that was the circle that you were going to depend on, not only while you were there, but later in life. And uh, you learned to keep it small, but you, you, you knew when they said something, they weren't going to tell you necessarily what you wanted to hear. Yeah. I remember A calling me in after a football game, and I thought I'd done all right. And uh, he sit, said, sit down. And he got up, he drew a big circle on the blackboard. And then he drew a little circle outside the big circle. And he said, Bubba, see this big circle? There's a lot of really good stuff going on in there. You want to be inside that big circle. You see this out here? This is you. You need to find a way to get in here. Hmm. And I knew what he was talking about. Because I was a little excited after we beat Texas that day so but anyway it was all good and i got the meaning and, uh but he, he gave me that story because he cared yeah about me and all the other guys so it was it was great for me and i want to uh follow up because you said that you were you spent your first two years in corsicana um 
what was did you feel any difference um obviously you and valerie you came in at different times you came in as a transfer student valerie was a freshman so how was your experience as a transfer student what did you find it harder to make social connections or easier or or, or how did that work for you <laughs> well again one of the first junior college players to ever come to tcu mm. and so in fact, I think I may have been the second. I think there was uh, a guy uh, from Palo Pinto that may have gardened, but he was an academician. He was there for all, the whole deal. I was there to play ball, I thought. They taught me how to be a student. And uh, you had two classes of athletes there that it was their turn. And then here I showed up. And so you had to work, you had to show up every day. You had to not be afraid to get your nose broke and you had to, to compete. And as I did that, uh, the guys accepted me and, uh, uh, and I really appreciate all their friendships and loyalties over these years because I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for them. So yeah, it was I, a little I, different than being a freshman. I could see how that would have been really, I mean, you had to put yourself out there. You had to take yourself out of your comfort zone and sink or swim. So good for you that you stuck it out. Listen, I don't know if I had a comfort zone. I just knew <laughs> that we had to line up. And, yeah, you had to do what you could to say. You just, you I wanted to make them proud. I wanted yeah. everybody to be proud. And so... Uh, there was only there was one other choice back in those days for guys. Uh, you were in college or you were in the service. Yeah. And it wasn't a good time to be in the service. Right. But we weren't even thinking about that, honestly. Mm -hmm. We really weren't. So, so I want to know what each of your favorite memories, your most favorite memory when you were a student at TCU. You go first this time, Bubba. I got so many. Uh, I think my favorite memory was graduation day in 1970 when I went underneath the east stands of the stadium because they posted on the columns there if you graduated or not. Oh, to wow. See your name, if, to see your name on that sheet of paper was my best day at TCU. Wait, and okay. So that's how, that's, that's, is it graduation day? Yeah, so graduation day? They posted, I mean, you knew, but I've seen people look for their name and it wasn't. It's not there. So, and so they had the columns and they had their name and man, it was a good feeling to saw your name. And then and what, uh, and then would you turn around and graduate? like? Like the ceremony was you went coming into up. Daniel Meyer. You went into Daniel Meyer. Oh my Meyer, word! Right? You sat in the school of education, and when they so called you're... your name out, you're just you just felt like you could fly. Well, sure. And, uh, so some people's families came to now. Valerie didn't have the problem. She knew she was on her suit and she was kicking out, and she had all the fancy stuff on her gown. <laughs> but it, it was it was exciting, and I, and I want to tell you about my graduation. In, on June 7th in 69, Kay and I got married. 
And my plan was to go to Eastern Hills High School and begin my coaching career. Well, that spring, I got drafted by the Buffalo Bills. And so I left after we got married and I made the team a bunch of incredible people, Jack Kemp, OJ Simpson, names that you just, you dream about getting to, to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, but I needed six hours. And I, I really think I'm the first college athlete that the university have ever brought back and helped me get those six hours. Mm. Uh, today is just a norm. Yeah. Because of graduation rates and things. But in 1970, that wasn't the norm. So I, it's another reason I'm really tied to frogs. Did you do that in the off season? Uh, did it in the off season. And, and I did, uh, I worked for Yashaw Thompson, who was the head track coach at the time. I yeah. helped him with recruiting and, and all types of other things during that year to pay for the this tuition and fees that, that they had given me. Gosh. He got well, I, want to give, out of that, by the I want to give a shout out for Eastern Hills because that was my high school that I went to home of the Highlanders. So that would have been awesome for you to be a coach there. But I mean, well, see, you didn't Adler was the head coach Hills. at that time. Yeah. So That's it was awesome. a cool time for me. Yeah. Valerie, what about you? Um, I have a favorite repeated memory and a favorite one-time memory. And uh, the repeated memory is I loved fall convocation and honors convocation when the faculty persist in wearing their regalia uh, because um, I just loved the ritual of it and the sense that we were part of this timeless tradition of learning And, uh, you know, the faculty with their different colored robes and their different colored stoles um, appeared entirely different than they did in the classroom. And it it just meant something to me that that's how TCU started the academic year with fall convocation. And then in the spring uh, with honors convocation, which was a time to recognize everyone's accomplishments uh, across the university. Uh, So I I look forward to that every year. My uh, favorite individual memory, and I I hesitate to mention this because um, it caught me by surprise, so I don't want it to seem that I'm boastful, okay? It was a surprise to me. But like Bubba, it was commencement and um, you know, your name is called and you walk up the steps to the stage and the dean of your college hands you your diploma and then you walk across the stage and shake hands with the chancellor and then you exit the stage. So I received my diploma from the Adran Dean. I was an English and history major and I walked across the stage smiling because Dr. Mowdy was there and shook his hand, but he didn't turn loose of my hand. And there was this sort of momentary surprise. And he stopped 
the procession and he introduced me <gasps> to the audience as the top graduate in our class. And yeah. I had no idea that oh that was God. that. Wow. And, and I had no idea that he was going to do that. So it was a total and complete surprise. And um, the day was exhilarating to begin with. You know, my family was there and uh, we were all just in such a festive mood. But when he did that, it was like the circle the circle came full circle. Yes. And it, it closed with him recognizing me personally at commencement. And uh, I think it brought tears to my parents' eyes. And it left me in such shock that I'm surprised that I didn't tumble off the stage <laughs> as I left. But it was, it was definitely a very special moment. Did they ask you to make a speech? I didn't have to give a speech, no. <laughs> what a great story, though, that it, like you said, it came full circle from that sh that handshake of a random gentleman that you had no idea when you shook his hand until he told you that he was Chancellor mm -hmm. Mowdy to your last experience as an undergraduate was shaking his hand to say goodbye. Oh, right. my gosh. Uh -huh. Wow. I love that. Thank you. That's a great memory. Those are two great memories. Y'all have, your lives were just touched by incredible people. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, the ones we've mentioned were ones among many, wouldn't you say, Bubba? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I could it's... name off probably 15 faculty members easily who uh, made a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. And Bobby, you touched on it earlier when you said uh, Abe Martin brought you in his office after the UT game. Um, I understand you uh, you ran back a punt uh, in Austin to beat Texas. It would be the last time TCU beat Texas from 1967 until 1992. Oh, my so, gosh. So <laughs> do, do you no, still remember the play? And how was it like after you did it? If you still remember the play, I'd love to hear about it. Yes. Tell us. I, you know, it it was really a beautiful Saturday day. The sky was clear. Uh, and I was with a great bunch of guys. Uh, I remember the ride down to Austin and warming up for the game and their band came out and it looked like it never was going to stop coming out. The game started and it was back and forth and they had all the guys we had read about, you know, for the last two years being great and this and that. And uh, if the truth was known, Fred Taylor probably told him, I called, don't let Bubba catch the ball because he's going to try to return it. And I just, I'd nearly got my head leveled off the time before. But the guy was about one step too slow the second time down. And as I caught it and he went to, to, to nail me, I could get to the side. And once I got to the side, there wasn't anything up the sideline. Oh. And so it was pretty much, it, it really was getting past, catching the ball was more difficult than the run. But at the end of the, at the end of the run, I threw the ball up in the stand. And that's why Abe called me in. Because I, again, I may be the first college guy to ever throw the ball up in the stand. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, 
but it was an exciting time. And there were other heroes of that game. Cubby Hudler, P.D. Shabay, Post, just a bunch of the guys that were real heroes. Mike Hall, Billy Lloyd. Uh, it, it, you know, it was really a team effort. And it was, it was really a neat moment because then Sunday when I went back out to Keller, I got to see mom and dad and Mr. Thetford came by and Mr. Swansea came by and went over mm. and saw and and you know, so what? We'll get we gotta play again next week, so let's we'll do it. So, <laughs> but it was but it was just one of those I was in the right spot at the right time. And Did you beat Texas at Texas? Was that game in Austin? It was in Austin. I think I was there. I think I was there for that. Do you, so, you remember that play, Valerie? I don't remember that play specifically, but I remember riding a bus down to Austin, a student bus, and uh, uh, we were so excited to win because they had to turn the lights on the tower, the color of the team that beat them. And so as we left Austin, the campus tower was purple, and that was so exciting. Mm. Gosh. I don't remember that, Valerie. <laughs> that would be cool. I don't. I, I've I've worked down here for eighteen years. I don't. I don't know. If you might have had a little uh, uh, lemonade or something going back. <laughs> I don't know no, if no. I was that. I was a teetotaler. I was a teetotaler. I didn't drink in college, but but no, that was their tradition back then. That. If yeah. Texas won, they flooded the tower light with orange. But if the other yeah. team won, they had to flood the uh, tower with that team's color. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I'm, seeing I'm, that purple tower and being so proud. So when you're yeah. running the ball back, and I mean, obviously there's a hundred thousand stadium. And you're you're focused on scoring, but at any point does it get into your mind? I'm about to run a pump back to win the game versus UT in Austin with 100,000 people that are going to be really mad when I cross this end zone? You know, I, it was, it was the game. It was, it was, I, I don't know. Uh, I knew it was important. We needed to do well. Uh, that was the time TCU was pivotable in which way they were wanting to go in college athletics because the big bomb was fixing to go off and on, on college sports of where we were going to go and how they were going to take it. And uh, so it was important for us to do it. And uh, I, I don't think I ever thought about what they were thinking at all, except it felt real good. That's, mm -hmm. I just remember it feeling real good. Uh, for our guys, when we went off the field, winners, and when we came out of the dressing room, how happy everybody was, you know, that uh, we'd gone down there and, and taken care of business. Hmm. So you both saw your name on the the graduation column. Uh, Bubba was Bubba was thrilled and relieved. Valerie, you know. She had her surprise win for her graduation. Yeah. Um, which, you know, Valerie, I want to, you talked a little bit about your mentality. Um, you know, we talked about Bubba's mentality during his, 
you know, his phenomenal moment. And you talked a little bit about when that, when the chancellor shakes your hand. And do you still remember the sentence clear as day? I want everyone to know this is our top graduate. Um, do I remember it? Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, can, there's some of those moments that you can remember like the whole paragraph that people were saying and, or was it, it all kind of a blur? Um, well, you know, I, I probably remember everything that everybody else remembers about, you know, coming over to Daniel Meyer Coliseum in our gowns and we didn't wear purple yet. That came later than when we were there. We just wore black black gowns and we didn't have all the ribbons and cords and everything that, that we wear now. We all looked exactly alike as I remember it. And I don't even think people were decorating the tops of their mortar boards or anything. We were, uh, we weren't as playful <laughs> as graduates are now where they really deck themselves out for commencement, but going over to Daniel Meyer and getting all lined up and, and all that sort of thing, and um, seeing your friends and knowing that some of your friends you're seeing for the last time, and everybody's just exhilarated. You know, all of our families are there. It's the culmination of four years of our hard work and also the fun we had and the service we did. I mean, you really create a community when you come to college. Uh, when you come to the university, I think um, certain institutions exist on campus, you know, the certain residence halls or certain Greek uh, fraternities and sororities and certain clubs, um, but you make your own community by what you decide to do. And so then you're part of that community. Abeba's part of the athletic community, uh, for sure. And um, uh, I was part of several communities, actually, kind of the English and history folks and the honors folks. And um, in my second year, I pledged a Greek sorority. So I was part of that group. And then I was on a couple of university-wide committees and, uh, and I had a job and um, with one of the faculty members. And so um, I just um, had this sense at graduation that we all had come through with flying colors and we were all now about to um, embark on our individual adult lives and uh, didn't know when I would see anybody else again, but I just felt full of love for the university, um, for the whole experience of four years, affection for all my friends, and a sense of pride for all of us that that our, our communities were coming together one last time and moving on. Yeah, I love that. And, and so you, you cross the graduation stage, and as you said, Valerie, you you enter the world. You don't know when you're going to see your, your classmates. Um, if each of you can maybe touch on on what the real world experience was like for you upon um, graduation. Go ahead, Bubba. <laughs> it was just going to be a continuation of goal setting showing up, 
having been prepared to do certain things to move forward and as as i move forward listen keep the the good information throw the bad way and i was and i would still keep my circle of trusted people that i knew would always uh, tell me not necessarily what i wanted to hear because as I started moving through, I found there were a lot of people out there that were experts at telling you what you thought you wanted to hear, but really wasn't good for you. Mm-hmm. And so it just worked for me. And uh, you get so busy. And this is this is a sad part, I think. Unless you really stay close to the university and get to be part of their events on a yearly basis. You get so busy with your life doing your things and and climbing and and trying to move forward that you lose touch a lot of times with some of your best friends. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate, but things like this help bring you back for a moment or two. And uh, those moments are really uh, the, the big paydays for me I, from some of the athletes that I've had at TCU to some of my past teammates. I just saw Cubby Huddler. He's the president of the regional state bike in Johnson City. He would knock your head off. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And to me, he looked just like Cubby and acted just like Cubby. And it made me feel really good. I, I mean, for everything we've been through the last year, he wiped it away with just a smile. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my life experiences have been about people. And uh, a lot of people say achievements, are mo- they're just moments to me. I, mm-hmm. I was expected to get there, to do it, to get done. Uh, I just didn't know what progression it may come, I had to be patient a lot of times. Yeah. Kind of where I was. After that graduation, well, I was on a I mission. Off. Um, when I left TCU, I was on a mission. I aspired to uh, teach at the college or university level. So graduate school was on my horizon and I wanted to go straight into graduate school because I was a a little bit fearful of losing my momentum. Um, And also I felt like uh, I had sort of um, proven myself in the bigger world from Arkansas by moving to Texas. So I decided I wanted to move out into the yet bigger world. And um, I went out to uh, Los Angeles uh, to attend graduate (laughs) school at the University of Southern California. Uh, for uh, just about a year, year and a half, uh, to earn a master's. And then I went on to the University of Minnesota for about five years to earn my doctorate, and then went on to um, New York on Long Island uh, to finish up uh, writing my dissertation while my husband had a postdoctoral fellowship. And uh, then in 1979, which was eight years after graduation, um, both of us with brand new degrees and everything, we moved down to Alabama to start our careers. 
And so I was kind of an itinerant for the decade after graduation, still in school the whole time, uh, taking classes, teaching freshman English at the University of Minnesota to earn my keep and um, teaching some other courses now and then to learn the craft of being a professor and <clears throat> ended up coming down to Alabama to Huntsville uh, where my husband got a job first and I had a brand new baby so I wasn't in a rush to get a job right away but after a year down there I started working with NASA and um, wait, wait. Anthony, <laughs> <laughs> yeah do no, it no sense mean, right okay so let's stop for a second in 10 <laughs> years you got your you got your master's degree your PhD got married, had a baby, and then, oh, by the way, NASA calls one day and says, would you like a job? So <laughs> it doesn't happen to many people. How do you go from freshman English to NASA? No kidding. Yeah, that's what, uh, it always makes a good story. And, and actually, when I was in graduate school, I was studying mostly 19th century American history and American literature, and I thought that's where I would teach. And uh, I went on the academic job market and I had interviews with a couple of schools and had I been single, I would have taken one of those jobs. But um, the places that interviewed me weren't places where my husband could also get a teaching position or a research position. So we kind of had to negotiate between us what our strategy was going to be. And we wanted to find a place where we could both find a career. Mm -hmm. And we decided since we had just had the baby that he could have first dibs. And so um, we actually left New York. He had two job offers, one in Alabama and one in California. And he was deliberating on them. Um, and he was driving the U-Haul truck and I was driving our car with the baby following him and he said just follow me and when we get to a junction I'll decide I'll either head south or I'll keep going oh, west God. <laughs> so um uh we uh we ended up going south and uh he had interviewed at both places and in fact um knew what we would be getting into so I was happy with that decision and when I got ready to go back to work, uh, when my child was about a year old, uh, I did some part-time teaching at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, uh, but there really wasn't um, uh, what they call a, you know, a tenure track position open or a full-time position open. So I started watching the one ads and one day there was uh, an ad in the newspaper looking for a writer and editor. And as an English major, I could write and edit. I mean, I spent my whole life writing papers and uh, grading papers. <laughs> so I was pretty good at editing, too. And it just so happened that the client was um, uh, a laboratory at Marshall Space Flight Center, the NASA installation in Huntsville. And uh, so they hired me, and that was the start of a 10-year career as a writer and editor for NASA. Uh, uh, the space shuttle era was just starting. Uh, I was hired in 1980 and the first shuttle flight was 1981. 
And uh, some of the shuttle missions were designated as scientific research missions. Uh, others were to deploy satellites or to fly things for the Department of Defense. But the research missions were really interesting and it was that office that wanted somebody to write about those missions and help the press understand how the shuttle could be used as a laboratory, a kind of a space station before there was a full-time space station. Um, so that's what I did for 10 years. And I, I kind of moved up from, uh, or moved out, not up, moved out from shuttle missions to um, the Hubble Space Telescope was being built at the time and everybody was gearing up for what a fabulous observatory it would be. Uh, so I did some work with the astrophysics division writing about the Hubble Space Telescope and some of the other observatories that were coming along. And uh, then I got involved with Johnson Space Center in Texas. They were running a series of life science missions uh, where the crew members were actually um, doing life science experiments on themselves and also on laboratory animals and plants and other things. So I ended up writing about those things too. So that was my career in the 1980s for 10 years. And uh, was it hard, uh, Valerie? I wanted to interrupt here. Was it hard to write about something that you had no? Um, not really, because what you learn as an English and history major is to do research and to learn what you don't know and to learn it well enough to write about it so other people can understand it. And uh, so I, I've always said that TCU was the best part of my education, uh, more so than my two graduate schools, because I learned those skills and I learned those habits of mind and so once you know how to learn, then you can learn about anything. And mm. uh, yeah, I, I never took physics, I but I started writing about physics and I was able to learn enough physics, not to be a physicist, but to write about physics. And of course I had physicists review what I wrote to make sure I didn't make any mistakes, but um, it's part of having a liberal arts background, a liberal arts education, is you learn how to learn, you learn how to do research, you learn how to think creatively and critically, and uh, you learn how to synthesize information and put it together into uh, thoughtful essays. And uh, so in a way, it was kind of like continuing my life as an English and history major with a different subject matter. Sure. So were you writing for NASA uh, or what was your duties? Um, obviously, they say 1980s and, and the first thing that came to mind is the Challenger explosion. Um, did you have to do any writing or, or post-op of, of that uh, fateful day? No, uh, no, I didn't. Um, and I'm grateful that I didn't. It was a terrible day. I remember it very well. Um, and... Um, we had an opportunity in Huntsville to meet various crew members from time to time when they came to the Marshall Space Flight Center to do their underwater training. And um, I learned to dive so that I could go into that neutral buoyancy tank and help out with the training. Um, 
as a writer, I started keeping notes from those uh, test exercises they did. And sometimes being the test conductor, just reading out the instructions to them over the microphone that they could hear in their helmet. But um, eventually my boss suggested that I take diving so I could get in the tank also and be a helper. And so um, uh, I didn't have any work up to the Challenger mission that was distinctly related to it. Um, but I was doing work related to deploying the Hubble Space Telescope and some of the other missions that would have crew activity going on outside. Um, the main thing I remember other than the accident itself is that NASA kind of put a freeze on all contracts because they knew they weren't going to be flying for a year or two until they resolved the problem um, from the accident, the problems from the accident. Um, so that affected my workflow. And by that point, I had hired three or four other people to work with me. We had enough writing work to do. And so I remember being anxious about how we were all going to uh, keep ourselves afloat and uh, if our contract work was frozen. And fortunately, our company found other things that we could do in the interim, so none of us were laid off. And so is this writing, is this writing going in magazines or is this for NASA employees? Or I, I'm just trying to understand when, I mean, you're learning about every aspect. What's your audience that, that you're learning to write for? Um, the audience was um, largely the press and members of Congress and um, constituents of the people who had experiments flying on those missions. And so much of what we did was in magazine format, but it was a magazine for each individual mission. And they were uh, they were uh, full size magazine size color brochures that explained the science, like why would you want to do this research? What's the practical or the theoretical um, benefit of doing it? Who are the crew members? What's it going to be up? What's it going to be like for them up there doing this research in space? And NASA would print, I don't know, 40,000 copies of those or something and distribute them widely to the media, uh, uh, to the members of Congress, to the people they wanted uh, to educate about the shuttle, the use of the shuttle, the kinds of science being done, the Hubble Space Telescope and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then I wrote uh, two books. Um, one was a history of the Marshall Space Flight Center for its 25th anniversary. And that was geared largely to the um, NASA community and the Huntsville community. And then I did one book uh, at the end of the 1980s that was a recap on those early science missions, kind of looking at all of them as a group and summarizing what the accomplishments had been, what the lessons learned had been, uh, and that sort of thing. 
And all of that work then prepared me for my, my next job. But I've talked enough. I think Bubba needs to chime in here about his career path. Yeah, I want to hear what happened to him after you got your Buffalo Bills job. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was... I was drafted as a defensive back and receivers got hurt. And I went in and talked to the head coach and he looked at me like I was a fool. Well, the next day at practice, we had a scrimmage and he called me over and he said, run this pass play. And Jack Kemp was the quarterback and he put, and I scored. And I came back to the huddle and he said, get, I mean, I can't tell you what he said, but yeah. kind of get out of the way. So in about five minutes, he called me back over and now Jimmy Harris is the quarterback and he calls the same play. I score. I come back to the huddle. He says, even more explicitly, get out of the way. <laughs> so now... He calls me in the huddle for the third time. Dandera is the quarterback. Calls the same play, and I score. Now I've got all the defensive backs wanting to kill me. And I don't know where I am because I'm getting explicit information when I come back to the huddle. And, and so the receiver coach, Miller, comes over and he said, you're going to move to offense tomorrow. Well... As it worked out, Bill Inyard, O.J. Simpson, Jimmy Harris, and myself were all rookies, and we start the season against the New York Jets, who had just won the Super Bowl. And I thought I was going to trip and fall when they introduced, you know, how you ran out on the football field back in the old day? Mm -hmm. I, I thought I'd trip and fall down over the chalk line. I was nervous. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was – that was an exciting time and uh, it worked out and I bounced around for a little while and uh, then got into high school coaching and uh, was fortunate to be in my hometown. It was booming. And uh, they said I'd been gone long enough and they wanted new energy into the program. And so I became the AD head football coach there. And then after six years there, Frank Windigger at TCU called me about the track program. And I said, Frank, give it to me. And I don't know why he did, but he did. And that was the start of the Flying Frogs and world records and national championships and collegiate records and uh, great Athletes, Raymond Stewart, Ratio Porter, Greg Schultz, Roscoe Tatum, Keith Burnett, Philip Epps, James Manis. I mean, there's been 442 All-American honors that I've, I've got to be part of. And records and journeys. And so after uh, 13 years at TCU, the Lost Dots called at Austin and offered me to come down here and have all this fun here for 18 years. And uh, in the process, an assistant Olympic staff position in 2000 in Australia, 
I was wow. the head coach for the States in Beijing and the head coach for the United States at the World Championships in Paris. Mm. And still just a guy from Keller, Texas, you know. <laughs> had had good people around me. And I hope I've shared all those moments with them. And uh, it's just been uh, a, a great journey. And then I look at all the guys that, and women that have performed for me. Uh, we started a, a really legit program at TCU for the women. And, uh, you know, I, I think of how, how they had to line up. And it was, it was tough uh, because we were going against some really big programs. Uh, Beverly McDonald, Lisa Ford, Sonia. I mean, I... I think about them and uh, Rebecca Allison and and coaches that helped me there, John McKenzie, Ken Garland, Gary Peacock. Uh, we we weren't making six million a year, <laughs> so uh, it was it was just great moments, and I'll never forget. We'd been to the pin relays, and uh, we'd set a world best in the four by two. And uh, on the New York Times, on the front page of the New York Times, it says flying frogs set world best. And Chancellor Tucker came down the track in his robe, in his house shoes, Sunday, because we'd always get back and go up there and loosen up from the plane ride. And he said, it took my track team. I've been waiting all these years to get on the front page of the New York Times. And here's my flying frogs. Did it for us. Wow. But I've often said that I could not have planned my career. You know, the good luck I had along the way, the things that happened, kind of being in the right place at the right time or having somebody make an offer that, you know, I never anticipated. Do you kind of feel the same way about your career that if you had planned that you couldn't have planned it the way it turned out. I may not have planned it, but I wanted it. Mm -hmm. I really wanted it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you got it. I, I cherish my moments at TCU, but I wanted to be the head coach at the University of Texas. And as I became involved in track and field, I could see how my path might allow me to represent the United States and and be part of that and and have the the memories with those different athletes and to get to know different people in the sport and you never knew where the next person might come that would affect your life and mm -hmm. and but my, my deal was always uh, patient. Uh, if you got a little scared, don't be afraid to take the first step. You got to take that step forward mm -hmm. and show up. And, and so you, you actually, that advice you just shared is exactly what you did in order to be able to be a TC student, you know? So you put your, you put your faith in Abe Martin. Yes. About the fact that he said, go to junior college, 
get two years of experience and I promise I'll bring you back. And you, you took that leap of faith and you, you wanted it. So, wow, that's very powerful. And I always felt that in, in my career, I wasn't, I, I was kind of doing, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, I went on to a master's degree and on to a PhD, but once I got through that, I felt my career was a matter of going off to the end of the high diving board and taking a leap, you know, can I do this job? Uh, can I do this for NASA? And then after I left NASA, I had an opportunity to go to uh, Washington, D.C. and work at the Smithsonian. And I thought, you know, can I really do this? Am I, am I capable enough to do this? And the image that came to my mind is going out to the end of the diving board and just doing it. And if you don't, you'll always wonder if you could have, and you may regret not having taken that leap. And so when I, when I talk to students, I try to remind them of that. Yeah, Bubba, go ahead. You, you will regret not taking that step forward. Uh, I've, I've seen it with athletes and people that I've been involved with. Uh, very secure here. But if you took the step, it may have opened up a whole universe for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll talk about it later in life. You know, nice thing about my life experiences, I can have a beer with the guys now. And it's amazing how good they have really gotten over the years. Uh, but it was to take the step uh, to think about, I mean, TCU athletes from all over this fantastic state we live in and how they have they brought that together and made it work and it's, and it's working. And I, I got to be a little small part of that. Mm. I'm, I'm just, I look back at my journey. Today is my birthday. This is my 74th year of a journey that still is just going on. You know? Like literally, like today really is your birthday? Yes, it is my birthday. Well, happy birthday, <laughs> No, it, I try not to remember, but Kay reminded me today, it's nice to have him. Sure, and you know they're coming. That's what my husband always right. says. I like to have, I like to know that I that I am having a birthday. So, well, happy birthday! I guess we we probably are time. It's time to wrap up, and I, but I want us to make sure. I want y'all to think about graduating seniors, and what is your one message that you would want them to hear as they walk across the stage and start their new beginning? For me, I would say, <clears throat> find the thing you love and spend your life doing that. And if you didn't find it yet at TCU, there's still time to find it. But don't spend your life doing something that you don't love doing. Uh, find whatever it is that's your passion and do that. And if it presents itself to you sometime as an unexpected opportunity, 
and you feel like you have to make a leap of faith, if you can afford to do that, do that. Take that leap of faith because things will work out. Uh, one opportunity leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. But, but the last thing you want to do, I think, is trap yourself when you're in your 20s doing something that you don't love just so you can pay the rent. And, and that's not a good way to spend your life. Um, you'll, you'll live a very full and satisfying life if you're doing the thing you love to do. And you'll keep growing. That's a great message. Okay, Bubba, you, you end us out with what your best advice is for a graduating senior. Uh, and you know, Valerie made some awful good points. Uh, I'm usually not, I, I get pretty much to the point is that be patient. Don't be afraid to take a step forward. Show up every day. And I heard this, and I don't remember where I heard it. But don't sing the song. Be an artist. Work at it. Keep your circle small and really trust the people inside that circle. Mm. And I think life can be just another day in paradise. Mm. <laughs> Gosh, thank you both so much. I mean, Rob and I are so blessed that you accepted our invitation to spend time with us tonight chatting. And I just, I think you are the epitome of the type of student that we're wanting to attract and grow. And I, we just really value you and we, we honor you and, and happy 50th anniversary from TCU. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU Alumni are changing the world.